In the name of the Father, and Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So today we will continue with the book of Daniel, chapter 7. And so far in the book of Daniel, all what we have seen were the stories part of the book of Daniel, the history. From Daniel 7 until Daniel 12, it's mainly prophecies. And prophecies tend to be a little difficult, so we will go through them slowly so we can kind of understand them. And I think if we understand uh, maybe the prophecy from chapter 7, it will help us to understand the prophecy of chapter 8. So chapter 7 is more of a turning point in the book of Daniel. We're turning completely from stories to prophecies. There's also another small distinction is that in the book of Daniel so far, you always see Daniel speaking in the third person. Maybe like, and Daniel went, and Daniel met the king. From 7 on, seven to, except with one verse in chapter 10, we'll talk about it. He speaks in the first person. He says, I, Daniel, saw this in a vision or in a dream. And he uses first person to affirm that these visions were true. It's something that he saw himself. So this is typical way of writing in the old, in the old, in the old ancient time. Today, the visions that we will talk about, it's actually a vision of four different kingdoms that are coming one after another. Four different kingdoms that are coming one after another. And the Bible will give a specific description of each kingdom. We're very interested in the fourth kingdom because the fourth kingdom is where a lot of the interpretation could vary. But before we go into the, into the chapter today, we have to ask ourselves, why is God giving Daniel these visions? Why is he showing him what's going to happen in the future? Okay? So there are a few reasons for that. Number one is most likely that God wanted to assure the Jews that the nation of Israel would continue, will endure. Remember, they were in the exile, and they were still nervous, they're still worried, they don't know what's going to happen. So God is giving them assurance that they will endure. And also God is telling them the Messiah still come and his kingdom is different and his kingdom reigns forever. Also there's a beautiful verse in the, in the book of Psalms 25, 14. It says, what does it say? It says, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him and he will show them his covenant. It means that God likes to show his secrets to the people that fear him. And you will see in every generation, in every era, there is somebody that God would reveal to him certain prophecies about things will happen in the future. I know like yani many people mentioned the story of Abu Nangelo Salantoni predicting what's going to happen about the rule of the Muslim Brotherhood and also predicting about that there are period that Egypt will go through where the churches will be closed, and this is where they are today. So there are people who God will reveal his mysteries to. And this is, Daniel is one of them. Also, in Amos chapter 3, verse 7, see what it says? said, surely the Lord does nothing. God does nothing unless he reveals his secrets to his servant, the prophets. Before God does anything, he usually gives us prophecies about it. Tells us it's going to happen. It's coming. 
And that's why in the Old Testament specifically, you see so many prophecies about the coming of Christ, the Messiah. And when Jesus came, there are so many prophecies about the second coming. So God wants to reveal his secrets to his what? His prophets. So this is why Daniel was able to receive these visions. If you guys remember, I told you, if you look at the book of Daniel, you probably don't remember, but the first, I told you the first chapter is in Hebrew, from chapter 2 to chapter 7 in Aramaic, which is a common language at that time. So this is the last chapter that's in Aramaic. It means that people of Babylon, the non-Jew, would be able to read it in understanding. From chapter 8, from next week, God willing, it's only Hebrew. So these are more specific visions. And the, and the sequences of these visions from 7 to 12, they're actually in chronological order. So chapter 7, it says from the first year of Belshazzar. You guys remember Belshazzar? Review really quickly. Babylonian kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar was the father. His son was Nabudius. Nabudius had a son was Belshazzar. When we said Nabudius was camping away from Babylon, so Belshazzar was kind of ruling locally. So the first year of Belshazzar was chapter 7. The third year of Belshazzar is the prophecies of chapter 8. And then the prophecies of chapter 9 is the first year of Darius, the Medi. And then from 10 to 12 is the third year of Cyrus. So the, the prophecies we're going to go through are in chronological order in terms of the life of Daniel. Obviously in the scripture, there is, there is a sense of, when we talk about prophecies, there is always symbolism. And most of the time, the symbolism is explained in the chapter. And we will see this in this specific chapter. But sometimes the symbolism are interpreted outside the chapter. That's why St. Augustine had a very famous uh, uh, approach. He says there is plain passages and difficult passages. And the plain passages explain the difficult passages. Okay? So this is kind of where we are. The chapter today is very simple. It's... You can split it into two different sections, from verse 1 to verse 14, visions, and then from verse 15 to 28 are the interpretations of the visions. Okay? You guys are following so far? Yes? All right. So, what did Daniel see? Okay, I'm going to tell you an overview, and then we'll go through it in, in more details. Daniel saw three different scenes. Okay, so we'll put the three scenes next to each other. So pay attention, because that will help you to see the chapter. The first scene, while he was sleeping, all of a sudden he starts seeing winds coming from all over, and then they are moving the sea. So the sea started moving so much, and after the sea started moving so much, four animals in sequence started coming. The first animal that came out of the sea was a lion with an eagle wings, with human-like legs and minds. The second was a big fat bear, okay? The third was a leopard with four wings. And then the fourth, he could not even give it a name. Obviously, all these, are, all these are things that he says, this looks like a lion. So it's not a real lion. He's in his vision. He saw an animal. He said, you know, this looks as close as possible to a lion. So he sees four different animals coming in order. Lion, bear, leopard, and unknown animal. We're going to describe him. So that's the first scene. He saw the animals, and he saw how they look, and we will talk about what these animals mean. The second scene, he saw 
the almost the heavenly judgment what we call ancient of days he saw God portrayed as an old white beard man dressed in white okay residing over a fiery throne with a wheel all right and God is passing judgment on these four animals so that's the second scene okay you guys following the first scene right what happens the winds came they moved the sea and then four different animals came out in order the second scene we see the judgment of God sitting on the throne on a throne of wheel and fire coming out of his throne and he's passing judgment on these four animals the third scene it's not it's, it's almost tied to the second scene but we see like someone who looks like the son of men coming to the clouds and he goes to the ancient of days and the ancient of days give him the authority to rule over the whole earth and then after this the kingdom of God established forever you guys following so far or did I lose you okay it, these visions are really beautiful I, I, I'm just I wanted to give you an overview before before we go through them so it kind of helps you to understand them okay so really briefly what are these four what are these four different beasts that we're going to talk about there are four different kingdoms that they will come and they will rule the world so we have Babylon that's the first one the second one is Persia Persia and Medi they are two different kingdoms about Persia became stronger and took over Medi the third one is Greek Greece and the fourth one is the Roman Empire so these are the four different kingdoms okay I'm gonna tell you something that will confuse you a little bit but that's okay we'll, we'll loop back into it all interpret I don't want to say most interpreters says that these four are these four different kingdoms. only very few say that the four kingdoms are Babylon and then they say Medi, Persia and Greece and they don't say Romans are involved but I'm gonna explain to you why this is not very likely and most people most people don't really agree with that okay so let's start together from chapter one so first part we're gonna look at the, the four animals and after we look at the four animals we will see what's gonna happen afterwards it says in the first year of Belshazzar king of Babylon remember we said Belshazzar at that time he was never an officially king his father Nabodius was away so he's kind of making him manage locally Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed then he wrote down the dream telling the main facts so Daniel was sleeping in the first year of Belshazzar and you have to ask your, yourself a question why did God give Daniel the dream in the first year of Belshazzar if you guys remember Daniel was so close to Nebuchadnezzar and he trusted him so much probably when Belshazzar came he put him aside he ignored him he had no rule in the kingdom and because Daniel is a child of God God sent him these visions to comfort him to tell him I am with you and that's why sometimes earthly comfort or earthly accomplishment could be a sign that God is working through us but even the times when we are aside or when it were ignored or not as in the spotlight God is still working in the secret with the people who feel him and by the way at this time Daniel was about 67 years old this was nine years after Nebuchadnezzar died it was in the year of 535 okay 
553, sorry, 553. So at this time, Daniel was old, 67 years old, and probably he was a bit concerned about what's going to happen to the Jews in, under the reign of Belshazzar. So God came to him in a dream and started showing him. And most likely because Daniel is a man of God, he had the spiritual discernment, discernment to understand that this dream is different. It's not like any other dream he had. This dream, God is revealing something to him. You know, like, think about it. This question always comes into my mind. When you think about some of the fathers or the saints who do miracles, and you have to ask yourself, like, how did they grow in God to start doing miracles and doing all the work of God? Most likely, they left themselves in the hands of the Holy Spirit to guide them. And they learned to trust. And they learned to hear the voice of God. And eventually, eventually, because they responded so much to the voice of God, they were able to know it in their heart. Okay? So Daniel, he says, I've seen this dream. Daniel spoke saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were staring up the great sea. So he's sleeping, and he saw by vision, behold, a big, some, a big event happened. The four winds of heaven were straying the great sea. If you guys remember, the, the winds are moving. This is also mentioned in Genesis 7, 11, when it was talking about the flood, when God was passing judgment on the earth. All the waters were opened, and all of a sudden, the whole earth was drowned. So this is what's happening almost. The, there, is a, there is a stir up in the sea, and it means that there is a time for judgment. God is going to reveal everything to Daniel to show him why these nations deserve judgment. Okay? And by the way, just something for, you, for our knowledge, the sea always refers to the world in the scripture. Water refers to the Holy Spirit. But because the sea is salty, it cannot, the water of the sea is salty, it can never nourish you. Even though it looks so nice and so big, it can never nourish you. So when we talk about the sea, it's the world. When we talk about the water, the water that we drink, we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. So the four winds that we're talking about, they represent the judgment of God. Okay? And the wind stands for all these various forces that play on different nations and country for God to uh, achieve his, his, his judgment through them. Okay? And it's important as we go through this, because all these nations that we're going to look at, at some point, they thought they were great. And everybody thought they, nobody can ever conquer them. But one of the things that we forget is no situation is constant. Nobody remains in power forever. When you look at your situation today, you might feel, wow, it's impossible for anything to happen. But what we see, what God is showing us, is nations comes after nations, and nobody is everlasting except the Son of Man that we're going to see at the end. That we're going to see at the end. Okay? And even though we are in the sea of the world, like Isaiah said in 57.20, the wicked are like the tossing sea, which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mirror and mud. 
So the sea of the world never gives us rest. Only rest will come when we talk about the kingdom of heaven. So what did Daniel see? Verse 3, he says, And four great beasts came, out, came, came up from the sea, each different from the other. Four great beasts, big animals came out, not only in power, but also in size. And as we mentioned, they resemble the different, the different uh, nations. And it seems like every animal that comes is more meaner than the other. And over time, there is moral degradation from one kingdom to another. But the one thing that's beautiful is when the scripture is describing the kingdoms, they are descri describing them as animals. Because that's the best that the world can do. Any famous or big nation, all what they can do is what? Provide pleasure to people. Food, drinking, vacation, partying. Animal-like behavior. Killing taking over other nations. So they look as, as great and powerful, but at the essence, they are animals in their action and their approach. Let's see what are these four nations that he's talking about. He says, the first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man. And a man's heart was given to him. So this line has eagle wings. And all of a sudden, his wings were taken out. Okay? And he was allowed to stand on two feet as a man. So what is this animal represents? This animal represents the Babylonian kingdom. Why? If you look actually in the scripture in Jeremiah 4, 7, 49, 19, from 22, Jeremiah 49, 22, Lamentation 4, 19, Ezekiel 17, so many reference in the scripture, they refer to Nebuchadnezzar, who is kind of the person that embodies Babylon, as a lion or an eagle. Okay? So Nebuchadnezzar represents a lion or an eagle because he was so great and he was very powerful at the time, and he was the greatest king at his time. And no nations after him were able to reach his glory. They might have become bigger in size, but they never reached his glory. And actually some historians, they said that in the ruins of Babylon, they found Kedah at a very famous gate, it's called the Ashtar Gate. They found lions adorned with eagle. This was a representation of the Babylonian kingdom to represent their strength and and power okay so it's very common in the scripture historically it's very common to refer to the babylonian kingdom as a as a lion and eagle because of their power their strength so what is he talking about his wings were plucked off and then a heart of man was given to him if you guys remember when we read in chapter four what happened to nebuchadnezzar he was very boastful he was very prideful and all of a sudden god allowed him to live like animals for seven years and after he came back he became more human in his, in his interaction with people. He wrote a full letter about God of Israel. He started to be humble. So here, it's almost like when we connect with God, we become true human. And we're far away from God, we become like animals. 
And actually many theologians, they talk about this question, what does it mean to be human? If you try to define human by logic, well, computer can do better logic than us. What about the, the, the human who are intellectually or maybe mentally challenged? The only way you can define humanity is that they are after the image of God. And if they're after the image of God, they can only be human when they are in the right relationship with God. So I actually have two ways to live, either a human or an animal. So when I follow my lust and I eat as much as I want and I drink as much as I want and have sexual lust as much as I want, I am walking in the path away from being a human, more like an animal. So Nebuchadnezzar finally at the end was giving a heart of man. Now another beast came from verse 5, uh, suddenly another beast, a second like a bear, a big, big animal. It was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its, in its mouth, in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, they said thus to it, arise, devour much flesh. So this is most likely Medi and Persia who came after Babylon. And they were great in size and they are fierce in battle. Okay? And standing on one side because Persia became much stronger and they took over Medi and we'll see this in chapter 8. All right. So what does it mean it had three ribs in its mouth? A lot, of, a lot of scholars understand this. These were the three conquests that the Persian have done to take over the empire. So they did three big conquests. Babylonian in 539, which we studied before. What we call Lydia, which is Turkey today, in 546. And Egypt in, 522, in 525. So these are the three big conquests that... The, the Persian went through to take over the whole world. Is that clear? And they were told to devour. It means that heaven allowed them to go in to pass judgment on the Babylonian kingdom. And actually, their kingdom, by the way, was so large. It was from Egypt and part of Europe in the west up to the China and India in the east. So it's a huge kingdom. Okay? This is, this is, by the way, fascinating. When we look through this and as we go through it, you will see that God is revealing to Daniel exactly what's going to happen after him in great details. It's really very beautiful how God describes every kingdom. So he will finish two kingdoms. The third, and in this I looked, and there was another like a leopard. Leopard walks really fast, which had in its back four wings of a bird. So leopard who walks very fast and also wings, so he's walking super fast. The beast also had four heads. So four heads and dominion was given to it. Okay? So there were one kingdom after the other. They're not coming simultaneously. This third animal was super, super fast. Okay, And God has given him power. So all these situations, all these kingdoms that are in place, they're all allowed by God. So what is the third kingdom? It was the Greek kingdom. 
And the Greek kingdom, by the way, was known for how fast it conquered the world. The leader of the Greek kingdom was Alexander the Great. He invaded Asia Minor in 334, and within 10 years, 10 years, when he was 32, he conquered the entire Mede and Persian Empire from Egypt all the way to China. And how many years? 10 years. That's, by the way, there's no airplane, there's nothing. They're going from horse to horses from one place to another. 10 years is a very short time to take over this empire. He went so fast. Actually, some of the legends say that he cried because he saw that there was no more land to conquer. Alexander the Great. Okay? So he moved really fast. He conquered the world. And then there are four heads on this animal. Some say these four heads represents the four quarters of the earth. But actually there's a, there's a more accurate, I think there's a more accurate meaning. Always the word head in the scripture represents kingdom or rule. So the Greek kingdom after Alexander died in 323 was divided into four different, divided into four different leaders. Antipater, who was the leader of Greece and Macedonia. Lesmexius, who was the leader of Asia Minor. Seleucius, which is Syria, Babylon, and the Middle East. And then Ptolemy, which is in Egypt and Palestine. So they, after, the, after Alexander the Great, the kingdom was split into four. Obviously, this is, this is maybe, seems like a lot of history, but it's important to see how accurate the scripture is describing the events that will happen and the kingdom that are coming and how they will have a great influence on the world. And all these kingdoms that are coming and are there are permitted by God. They are permitted by God. Okay? Now the fourth one is the most confusing one. So bear with me. And after this I saw in the night vision and beheld a fourth beast. Dreadful, terrible, exceedingly strong. It had a huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trembling the residue, the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. I was considering the horns. And there was another horn, a little one, coming among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out of the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. So what is, let's kind of understand what's happening here. The fourth animal, he could not give him a name. If you go to the zoo... He figured the first one looks like a lion. Nothing. Nothing looks like the fourth one. Okay? And he said what? This animal had ten horns. And somehow one little horn came and took over three of those three horns. This animal was terrifying. Was very powerful. Very large. It destroyed all its enemies. Okay? And this animal, that's why we always say this animal represents the Roman Empire. Why? The Roman Empire was one of the most permanent and most powerful empire in the history of humanity. It stayed for almost 500 years. And they were known for how 
how violent they are, how forceful they are, how strong they are, they, they showed no mercy. But it's not only the fact that they were violent and showed no mercy, the fact that they also lasted for a very long time. Okay? So, this big animal that has no name, that's terrible, that's difficult, represents what represents the Roman Empire. What about the ten horns? Okay? Usually the word horn or head, it means king or a leader. All right? So most likely there are ten different kingdoms coming out of this kingdom, all right? And one of, one of ten kingdoms, and then one, one little king came out, it says, with an eyes of a human. It means, sometimes the eye of a human, as we talked about earlier, means humanity. But in this case, actually, it means somebody who's observant and learning and intelligent, Okay, and this very intelligent person took out three of the ten kings. So total you have eight. Okay, so seven, and then he came took out three. So total you have eight. All right, this king was arrogant, and you see the same description of this this image in Zechariah three nine and in Revelation four four six. So what does that mean? I want you guys to pay attention because the fourth animal is the most difficult animal. And there are two different interpretations to this animal. And I think actually the two are extremely connected. So pay attention, okay? Some people say that this animal represents the Roman Empire before the coming of Christ. The first coming of Christ. And some people say this fourth animal represents what's going to happen before the second coming of Christ. Okay, so this fourth animal could have two meanings, before the first or before the second. Why is this important? Because actually, if you look in the scripture, a lot of things that happened before the first coming of Christ, it will be repeated again before the second coming of Christ. There's a famous saying that says, the beginning is like the end. Right? So who came before Jesus in the first coming? John the Baptist. Who's going to come before Jesus in the, in the second coming? Elijah and Enoch. They're going to prepare the way. Before that, before the first coming, the Jews were under slavery. Before the second coming, Christians will be persecuted. So the first and the second coming, they are very similar in a lot of ways. First, that's why, by the way, when you look at the scripture, be careful. Because a lot of times when we're prophesizing about the first coming, we always jump again to the second coming. Because the two images look almost alike. After the first coming, Jesus reigns over our hearts. Over, over the hearts of the Christian. After the second coming, it's going to be the eternal kingdom. That's why... We say there's nothing new. Everything hey, looks the same. So let's see what, what are these ten horns, what's happening. So first I'm going to go through the interpretation as this before the first coming of Christ. And then we'll go through the second interpretation as this before the second coming of Christ. Okay? So these ten horns, look, after, I, I told you after Alexander the Great, we split the kingdom into four. One of this kingdom is the Seleucids. The Seleucids. Seleucids all reigned over Syria. Okay, after them, after the Seleucids, there came 
10 different, sorry, there came seven different kings after him. So Saluri is the first, Nectar from 312 to 280, Antiochus the first from 280 to 262, Antiochus the second from 262 to 64, Seleucius the Colonius from 246 to 22, Seleucius the third, Antiochus the third from 223 to 187, Seleucius the, the fourth uh, from 187 to 175. So these seven kings came, what the, they're coming after the first Seleucius, okay? I'm sorry, it's a little confusing, but you will get it in a, in a, in a little minute. Seleucius IV had three children, okay? One is called, uh, uh, called Antiochus, Demetrius, and Heludius. Antiochus came, and he defeated his two brothers, and he took over the kingdom. So these ten, horns, uh, these ten horns are the transition period between the Greek, Greece and Roman in the Syria part. Why is the Syria part important? Because this is where Jerusalem is. This is where the people of God are. Okay, are you guys following or not? Did I lose you? Okay, are you guys following? If you guys are confused, let me know. So there is, let's go through this. There is a trans we said that the Greece was divided into four different kingdoms, okay? That's why the, the leopard had four heads. We're over with this. Now, one of those kingdoms was ruled by Seleucus, which is in Palestine, which is where, what we care about. After him, there came seven different leaders, okay? Which is seven of the ten horns. Now, after the seventh leader had three children, they were fighting over the kingdom. Instead of splitting the kingdom, one of his sons, Antiochus IV, came and took over his two brothers, and he became the king. Okay? So this is that little horn that took over the two horns. Why is this significant? Antiochus is extremely important uh, uh, figure in history, and you have to know him. Antiochus Epiphanius IV. What did Antiochus Epiphanius IV did? Antiochus Epiphanius IV he actually went into Jerusalem and he, and he desecrated the temple of Jerusalem. And he put the statue of Zeus to be worshipped in the temple. And the temple was defi defiled for three years and ten days. This is, by the way, remember in Jesus when he talked about the abomination of the desolation that Daniel spoke about? This is it. When Antiochus Epiphanius went into the temple of the Jews, he, he took the money, he stole the money of the temple, he desecrated the temple, he changed all the rituals they had, he told him you cannot have the calendars you have, you cannot have the rituals you have, he changed their t the times of the worship, he changed the laws of the worship, and he forced them to give up all their tradition and their religious practice. We'll see this in Maccabi, first Maccabi, chapter 1 from 44 to 49. And the temple was defiled. The holiest place in the world was defiled. Until a man, his name is Judas, the Maccabees, came and fought him and tried to take over Jerusalem. So guys, are you guys following or no? So if we talk about this animal is the Roman Empire, there was a transition period specifically for Jerusalem. There were seven kings, and then the, th the, the eighth king had three children, they should split the kingdom. Instead of splitting the kingdom, one of his children took over. And that little horn was so smart, was so intelligent, he came back, desecrated Jerusalem, desecrated the temple. And, and obviously, this is a big disaster for Israel. Because if they cannot offer the sacrifice to God, it means 
I told you this before, but let's review it. It means that the covenants is at risk. If they cannot offer the sacrifice, it means the covenant is at risk. That's why even in the New Testament, how come we don't say it's okay not to take, it's okay not to pray liturgy? Even during pandemic, what happened? The priest had to pray liturgies in their homes because the communion is a sign of the covenant. We cannot stop the communion. It is the covenant between the new church and God. Is that clear? Did I confuse you? You guys are following. Okay? Good? All right. So this is if we apply this to the first coming. What if we apply to the second coming of Christ? Most likely these ten horns will mean, this is something bad, will mean it will come in the future. It will be ten different kingdoms or nations that will come together and unite together and form an alliance together. And right now we see this. There's a lot of nations that are forming alliances together. Okay? And it seems like out of these ten nations, as you expect, one king will take over three different nations. Okay? And this king most likely will be the Antichrist. And this same vision, same idea, you will see it in Revelation 13.3. And St. Jerome said that little horn with, with human eyes is a man of sin on whom Satan resides. He will conquer three nations and that will resist him and thereby he gain firm control over the whole world. And this Antichrist will be the one who speaks blasphemous words and prideful words against God. That's why in 2 Thessalonians 2, it says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will come unless the falling away comes first. So the falling away comes first means the devil has to come first. The Antichrist has to come first. That man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. This is the son of perdition. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or what is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. I'm going to talk about this and then conclude for, for next time so you guys can you know, process what we said. If I was telling you earlier that the first coming of Christ is similar to the second coming, and if I were telling you that Antiochus Epiphanius came and thus he created the temple, he changed the times, he changed the laws, and he made the holy place the, the, the temple people worship Zeus. Now, what do you think the, the Antichrist will do? He will change the calendar. He will change the times. He will change the traditions. He will change the things that we know. I'll tell you guys something. We'll take off for, for a second. Maybe 10 years ago, when you walk around in America and you say you're Christian, you feel prideful. You feel, yeah, that's right. I'm Christian. No problem. No issue at all. Right now, when you say you're Christian and you go to church, you don't feel as accepted as much as it was 10 years ago. Now we see people are trying to change even the calendars. It's no longer Christmas. It's no longer this. Let's give it new names. Now we see also that the laws and the basic things we know about gender, about family, about sexuality are being changed. And just like Antiochus Epiphanius will persecute, persecuted the Jews, 
the Antichrist will come and persecute the Christians, the people of God. What happened back then will happen. And if we were doing the book of Daniel 10 years ago, we probably would not see this. But now we see it with our own eyes. I remember, I'll tell you a story and then we'll conclude. I remember when we were studying the book of Revelation when I was in middle school, high school. So there is a verse in the book of Revelation that's kind of weird. It says, when Enoch and Elijah die on the mountain and the Antichrist will defeat them, the whole world will be able to see them at once. And our mind is like, how is that possible? How is the whole world can see them at once? There is no, there's no technology. The best we have is a TV. And now, all what you have to do is just turn on your phone and go live. And the whole world can see what's happening at once. There are many things that are written that become clear as we live them and see them. So be careful about the changes that come. Because God said, unless these days were shortened, even the chosen will perish. The changes that the world is trying to bring today are just simply some of the first initial steps that prepares for the coming of the Antichrist. So this concludes, remember at the beginning of the, of the, of the today Bible study, we said that Daniel have seen three scenes. This concludes the first scene when he saw the, the sea being stirred, four different beasts came out and each beast represents a kingdom. Next week, we'll see the second scene. We'll see God sitting on the judgment seat. And I'm going to tell you something. Next week, just get a, a preview. You will read the most quoted verse in the New Testament. And you will read one of the most preferred titles of Jesus. And we will know why he likes to use them. Because it has a different specific meaning to the, in, the, in this chapter. So next week we'll go through this and glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Larry and Tony, you can lead us in the song. Jesus, not in temptation, but deliver us from evil one.